interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. Hope uh, that your weekend is going good. We are soundly into the summer months, uh, the month of July. Uh, you know, we all knew it was going to be hot, and it is hot. You know, it turns out that according to Dr. Ken Dewey, we're almost exactly on average for heat. So I think I'm on average for complaining. So that's about, we're all just kind of a, about on average uh, when it comes to summertime. I hope you had a chance to get away. I've gotten away, and uh, I'm glad, but I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad to be back with you. And I'm glad to be here this morning with an old friend uh, who I knew from our days at Southeast. And uh, I, from time to time, I pester him, and we, and we have a chance to chat. And, as, and we're going to chat on air this morning. Welcome to the microphone, Rob McIntarfer. How are you doing? Thanks, Stu. Uh, old friends, we can underline old, but proudly old. <laughs> That's right. You're, you know, we're all, this is, this is sad to say, and, and you carry it very well, but we're both officially like in midlife. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, any crises over at your house? Oh, not midlife crises yet. I still have the same car, <laughs> rode my bicycle here, so not transportation issues. I'll yes. let you know when uh, I need help shopping for a Maserati or something yes, like that. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm probably the red Corvette guy, but <laughs> no, I'm... You know, it's funny. Being a car dealer's son, I, I don't really care that much. Yeah. You know, it's like, give me function. Yeah. Although I don't think I'd say no to a Corvette <laughs> if somebody gave it to me. I think our problem is more likely books. We probably both compulsively buy books, I imagine. That's probably more us. Have you been watching my online purchases? (laughs) Okay, of the books you've bought, uh, how many of them are still waiting to really be seriously read? (sighs) Yeah, my... The stack on my nightstand, it's only three deep right now, but it's been much worse. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What? By by the way, and by the way, Rob and I are going to talk today about... uh, uh, civil discourse mm-hmm. about how people get, you don't have to agree about everything to get along right. and to play nice together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, uh, so we'll get back to that topic in just a minute, but back to your reading list. Yes. What is the preferred, what is your preferred, uh, type of book on the reading list? As far as genre or yeah. format? Cause I was just talking with friends. I'm still a paper pencil, uh, paper reader instead of a digital reader. Um, I like my laptop a lot, but I read on paper. Yes. And I'd say, well, I don't know. It used to be mostly fiction, but I've switched over to nonfiction. Maybe that's an aging thing, too. That might be an old guy thing. (laughs) That might be an old guy thing. (laughs) We like to hear how things work. Maybe, or maybe nonfiction seems like fiction now to us. Who knows? Yes, that's very true. I I just took a trip, and so I needed a book on tape. Mm. And uh, so... Does that count if you listen to oh, the yeah. book that you read the book? Totally, yeah. Okay, good. So I read yeah. while I listened to I like to that it. I'm in charge of that. Thank you. All <laughs> I needed was someone to affirm it. And so thank you for affirming that. I bet. appreciate that. Uh, this friend of mine was always talking about Malcolm Gladwell books. Mm. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to see yeah. if I got And I found uh, Talking to Strangers. I haven't read that one. It's uh, like maybe four or five years old. Okay. But the premise is that the, and this kind of gets into today's topic. Mm-hmm. The premise of talking to strangers is is that that one of the things that makes a civilized society work. He he, the first principle he investigates is this idea of default to truth, hmm. and that is that when you tell me something, 
that I generally, well, I'll believe you mm-hmm. unless there's a really strong reason to not believe you. Mm-hmm. And, and that we all have this default to truth mm-hmm. that we, we just, we tend to trust people. And his point was that, that if everybody didn't kind of function that way, we'd have a hard time getting along. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and that some people are wired differently, but that most of us have this default to truth. And in fact, if you tell me something that sounds a little fishy, mm-hmm. if I actually know you, mm-hmm. my default to truth is so strong, I will make up an excuse for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know, well, yeah. you know, Rob was a little uh, grumpy that day. Yeah, or, right. Or, or, you know, well, Rob, you know, but I, but I know him and I don't think yeah. that's what. And so this default to truth is so strong that sometimes it makes us ignore uh, glaring facts. That's really clever, and I haven't heard that term before, but I'm going to start using that term. Gladwell's so smart. I love reading Gladwell's books. And um, Plug, if anybody likes podcasts, his podcast is awesome. Very, very good. How long are the episodes? They're about an hour. They're pretty long. Okay. um, But that reminds me of two things. So when when Stu and you and I taught together, one of the Mm -hmm. things that I taught, we were both English teachers, and I also taught psychology. Mm -hmm. And in the intro psychology curriculum, uh, there's two things that – the default to truth reminds me of one's called the veracity effect. And that's something that advertisers use. And I bet they're using our default to truth setting. So the Mm -hmm. veracity effect is the more time you hear, more times you hear something, the more likely you are to think that it's true later on. Mm. So advertisers can just say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) And I bet we kind of automatically default the truth at least a little bit. And if we hear it enough times, that might be what causes or partly what causes the veracity effect. And the other one that you just reminded me of is called, um, I think maybe the most important concept in all of introductory psychology uh, called the fundamental attribution error. And that's, what do I attribute a person's behavior to? Do I attribute their behavior to their inner self, their inner disposition, who they are, or do I attribute it to the situation? So if I see Mm -hmm. somebody do something jerky, Mm -hmm. if I know them, I will attribute it to, oh, they must be having a hard day, or, oh, I bet they just got in a car accident, or I bet somebody just yelled at them. They're they're not this grumpy. They they, they wouldn't do that normally. Mm -hmm. If they're a stranger... I think they're a jerk <laughs> and I don't, I don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Um, and that reminds me of that default to truth idea that um, yeah. if, if someone says something fishy, if I know them, I'll, I'll cut them some slack yes. or I won't do that for strangers. Yes. And that um, ties into maybe one of the ways that we can contribute to civil discourse or practice civil discourse is maybe try to fool ourselves. If I'm talking with this person, even though they're a stranger, maybe kind of treat them or give them enough, give them as much slack, mm-hmm. at least until proven wrong. Yes. Until somebody that, as someone that I know and like. Yeah, yeah. There, um, I I hear a lot of this lately, and it's kind of like, oh, these are you know the times are as bad as they've ever been. Yeah. It's never been like this before. And again, I'm I'm not a historian, but I, all my instincts say eh, I'm not sure. I think there yeah. probably have been some periods in in American history and. Obviously, in human history, where it's yeah. been just as bad or worse, but but it but to us right now it feels like yeah. wow, this is how do we? Do you get that same sense, oh, that same yeah. kind of feeling, like just things are sliding away? Yeah, I work for Lincoln Public Schools, and I get to work with his, history teachers a lot, mm-hmm. and it's great hanging out with history teachers just because they're great, and then mm-hmm. also you get that historical perspective, and yeah. they know how bad or how harsh political campaigns have been in the past. And when it feels to me like, oh my gosh, things have gone off the rails. And in some ways that things have gone off the rails, but they've been off the rails before. And um, somehow the train stayed on or at least kept going. So that's a super valuable perspective. Yeah. And I I think for me, 
Now, I'm barely old enough to remember, uh, you know, the 60s and yeah. then the early 70s. Yeah. And for people who are, again, another click older than me, uh, that's the one thing I've heard from them is mm-hmm. like, well, I've been through all of this before. Yeah. The sexual revolution, mm-hmm. the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. the Nixon mm-hmm. and the corruption and yeah. the don't trust authority and all these kind of things and the hardening of the right and the left and all that yeah. kind of stuff that was going on. Yeah. And, uh, but I must admit, I was young enough mm-hmm. where I don't think I experienced it yeah, in like either. this... But you think about even the assassinations. Yeah. This was just like a regular part of the 60s. And and what a day to talk about that when the former prime minister of Japan was just assassinated. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Stunning. Uh, at, at, along with historical perspective, another thing that's really useful, being in the schools and being around a lot of different cultures, um, we should all get a reality check of people who have uh, come to our country fleeing persecution elsewhere. Mm. Talk about rough. Talk about countries that are off the rails. Yes. Um, we, uh, that is a great reality check. So an international perspective, a cultural perspective um, can help us be more inclusive in what we're thinking of. I just saw a, gra- uh, uh, a data representation the other day about gas prices, which we're all hating right now. Yeah. Although they've been per- apparently coming down for the last 20 days, which is really good. Yeah. But um, internationally, there's this great world map out there that you can easily find where it shows the gas prices around the, around the world. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is doing great. <laughs> compared to everybody else. We're, we're our, our gas is cheaper than just about anywhere else in the world, so yeah, we should yeah. be careful about what we complain about. Yes. That was, in fact, uh, my first-hand experience, we just, this, just a month ago, we went to Canada. Uh-huh. And, of course, it's a little bit hard to, you know, because yeah. they're, they're gauging it by liters. How many toonies is gallons. this? How many loonies yeah. is this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's a liter? So all I know was the bottom line, you know, it's like, okay, I'm filling my truck, I'm pulling my camper, you know, and so... Uh, so I know what it costs to fill up my truck here. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was like, for some reason they have these pumps where they, uh, you have to say how much, how much money you want to spend oh, and then wow. you only pump up to that. Oh. And I'm kind of used to, well, just pump as yeah. much as I need to and it'll go on the credit card. Right. Right. And so I'm, I don't know. I haven't spent more than $75 on gas. I'll, yeah. I'll set it at a hundred yeah. and, and it runs out and I get about three quarters <laughs> full. So my best guess is it's at least 50% more in Canada than it is here. I bet and, so. And it's probably much more expensive in Europe. Yep. Yeah. At eight, yeah. $9 a gallon is pretty common, I think elsewhere. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We've got to take our first break. Yeah. We're going to come back. We're, we can talk about problems, but we're going to, we're going to try to turn the corner here, talk about some solutions. How mm-hmm. is, how is it we, uh, uh, as a society, as just individuals in our own neighborhoods, how do we, how do we begin to maybe, uh, stem the tide and, and, and feel like we can talk to our friends. We can talk to our neighbors. We can, uh, get along a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, sound good, Rob? Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it. It's a friendly fire Saturday talking with Rob, Mac- Rob McIntarfer. He's, uh, he works at LPS, but he's here representing himself, not LPS. <laughs> want to get that in there. It's a friendly fire Saturday on the voice of Lincoln, 1499, three KLIN. Keeping the topics lively. The conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the Voice of Lincoln, fourteen hundred and ninety-nine three KLIN. We are back to Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with Rob McIntarfer. And if, by the way, if you say McIntarfer fast three times, I'll say it the wrong way somehow. And since <laughs> many of you are probably in Lincoln, uh, half the family, probably over half the pam- family, pronounces it McIntarfer. Really? So if you run into a McIntaffer, that's also my family. Wow. We're all related. Just some of us pronounce the R and some of us don't. And no one knows why. That, you know, that is so common. We used to have a news guy here at KLIN mm-hmm. whose uh, 
who had the same name as a politician, mm-hmm. and and I now I can't think of the name, but it was mm. it was the same. It was a very well known, and I pronounced it. And he said, "No, no, we say it this way." Yeah. So and actually, they are related. Yeah. So so I practice civil discourse with Macintaffers, even oh, though yeah. there is an R in the name that they should pronounce. That is awesome. That is awesome. Um, the uh, one of the things you've done on the side as well is you've you've, you've kind of spent some time thinking about you mm-hmm. know civil discourse and how mm-hmm. we get along. One of the things that I have been frustrated with, I think we're all frustrated with, is that um, in such divided times, it feels like we don't we don't really listen to people. Mm-hmm. That we kind of we kind of oh, and then we label people, right? And then we put them in the in a category, mm-hmm. and then we we kind of stop listening. Yeah. Uh, how do you? What are some of the ways in which you redevelop? Well, let me put it this way first. How do I know if I am really listening? Yeah. And if you feel like. Uh, I've I've lost that skill. How do what are some of the keys to redeveloping just a really simple thing of actually listening? Yeah, and I I don't claim to be an expert in this, but I get to talk to really smart people. Um, mm-hmm. So I I already said that I get to work with history teachers often. Um, I also get to talk with uh, government and civics teachers. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine teaching government and civics over the last five to ten years, it's been a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and these folks, I think, are our national experts on getting all sorts of people in the public schools. We get everybody, right? Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of cross-section of humanity um, uh, comes into the public schools, and you have to, the civics and government teachers organize really complicated discussions in classrooms with everybody. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I learned from them, and this relates to the listening point, mm-hmm. uh, they sometimes use the acronym PLUM. And that's the stages in civil the stages in a civil discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, P is preparation. So come into a discussion. If you know what you're going to talk about, do some research beforehand. Do it with legitimate sources. Find some really common understandings of the way the world works, mm-hmm. um, uh, and bring that to the discussion because that can usually help. And the L is listening. And one of the things they say you know when you're actively listening when you check yourself. So right now you and I are staring each other in the mm-hmm. eyes. So one of it's nonverbals and actually physical, uh, physical behaviors. So if mm-hmm. you're looking at your phone, if you are <laughs> looking elsewhere, you, you just got to check yourself and just force yourself not to. Yeah. Um, it's really hard sometimes because other important stuff's going on. Yeah. Um, the other way to know that you're listening is to check yourself. Am I trying to uh, comprehend what this person is saying? Or am I listening for buzzwords so that I can interrupt them and contradict mm. them next? Mm. And that's when you, when your emotions get the best of you. Yeah. That's super tempting. I'm mm-hmm. I'm listening to you, but I'm only listening to disagree. Yes, I'm not listening for your intent and what you really mean. And yeah. that kind of goes back to the that cutting people some slack or the benefit of the doubt we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. We do that with friends. Yes. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have friends for very long. <laughs> That's true. Right. You want to lose your friends. Right. Do that. Yeah. Um, and then the you in Plum is understanding, and this actually relates to listening. So they have students practice, okay, if you are really listening and you really understand the intent of what that person was saying, you can paraphrase what they said back yes. to them in a way that they will agree with you. Yes. So I will – so you say something, and I will repeat back what I think you meant – in a way that you will actually agree with. That's mm-hmm. how you really know you're listening. That's how you really know you're understanding. And that's a learned skill. That's not easy to do. Yes. Um, and then the plum is multiple perspectives. And we kind of talked about that earlier. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that can help, help civil discourse is 
trying to think outside my own cultural, historical identity perspective. How mm. is this going to feel to other people? And um, that's Plum is being used by government and civic students to get ninth graders and 12th graders talking about mm. super tough issues and uh, without throwing fists or hopefully shouting. So I think yeah. if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. I like every one of those things. The It seems like in many ways... Uh, Social media and mm-hmm. uh, is the enemy of yeah, pl- of plum. Yeah, I agree because we uh, we talk about being in a silo. Yeah, and so I uh, I just I am embedded with people who look and think and feel the way that I do, yeah. and that I don't. Uh, uh, I, I'm not really interested in mm-hmm. in all these other perspectives because mm-hmm. I I feel like what I know is right, and yep. that ought to be enough. Yeah. So how do you convince people that they actually that there's how do you convince people of the dangers of living in such a silo? Yeah, and it's I'm I'm complicit in this, and I have some guilt because I still participate in social media, and I have guilt about it. I get a lot out of yeah. Twitter. Um, I find a lot of really interesting articles, but I know that that's also a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to uh, I have to make sure when I get a source or when I get an article off Twitter, I have to stop before I read it and try and do some fact checking. And the way fact checkers do their work is they don't read the thing and then tell they know who wrote the thing mm. and they know the perspective of the person who wrote the thing. You got to stop mm. yourself, even if it looks like a really great article, stop, figure mm. out what the source is mm-hmm. and don't read the thing until you know the source. Yes. yes. Um, and then we all just take social media so seriously and it's so easy to um, because we participate in it so much, but I've had to force it. So I'm just speaking for myself what I think works for me, although it doesn't work all the time. Yep. Just try not to take it so seriously. I, yeah. I took I took social media far too seriously earlier on, and it just has to be uh, a secondary way that you interact with the world instead of a primary. Yeah. And maybe yeah. we should we should participate in it less. I've tried to divorce myself from some of the social media platforms, um, and I think it's probably good the more we can do that. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting. I have uh, I've, I've decided I, I don't put anything political on my personal Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, and I do, if I have anything that I think is really interesting and political, I put it on my friendly fire page. Yeah, but uh, you know, so I've got a, right. I have an out clause for that. Right. But the uh, but I find that the more that I uh, two things that do help me is that uh, okay, grandkids, yeah. vacations, yeah. family stuff. You yeah. know, it's like oh, okay, people love seeing pictures and being yeah. updated and all that kind of stuff. It's 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 pretty good. I don't know that Facebook has ever changed anybody's mind about anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it has alienated a lot of yes. people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too, this is one of my little tricks, and and uh, I'm sure we all practice. I hope we all practice this, but you know, you can you can unfollow somebody without mm-hmm. unfriending them. Mm-hmm. So it isn't like, hey, you know, I care about you. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear an update. Mm-hmm. But if you find that somebody's always talking about things that mm-hmm. just are upsetting to you, mm-hmm. or that you disagree, mm-hmm. I I regularly go through. And I and I just unfollow. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden my feed then reflects yeah. more of the of the grandkids and yeah. pictures and vacations and yeah. and things that, that yeah. aren't as upsetting. Yeah. I I think that makes a lot of sense to me and I've done the same thing. Um and related to our earlier idea about multiple perspectives and also cutting people some slack. I think I can have a personal line between what I would consider political and what I would consider personal. But I have to acknowledge that for other people, that line's, that line's going to be way different. So yeah. some issues that I might consider political are super personal for other people because it affects 
who they are, how they live their life. Yeah. So that doesn't fit. That line for them is different. Yeah. So if some people are putting some things out there that I might find that I might disagree with and I might wonder, wow, why are they being so political? They might be expressing something deeply personal to them yes. and maybe I should just cut them some slack and yeah. maybe not engage and maybe not try to judge them for it. Yes, yes. There, uh, it's rare when, when, well, we know how it is with email. You can't read yeah. tone, yeah. facial expression. You yeah. can't do it. Okay, so then just put that on steroids yeah. on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. and and I I can't read their tone or right, their, right, and, or 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 even. I mean, honestly, I I posted something on a friend of mine's that was meant to be sarcastic, mm. and then I thought. They know this is sarcasm, right? Right. <laughs> this is like it's, I've often hit a joke that we need a sarcasm font. Yes. Right. You need some sort of visual text representation of sarcasm. Yes. I don't know about you, but I I use an embarrassing amount. Sometimes I'm embarrassed by the number of emoticons I use <laughs> in when I type, like a smiley face or something like that, because yeah. it seems very twelve year old. Yes. Nothing is twelve year old, but it, se it doesn't seem like a fifty three year old yeah. author thing yes. to do. Yes. But they're incredibly useful in text. Well, then you know. Okay. Right. If I put the smiley face with the tears yeah. falling down, <laughs> right. we know that I right. think it's funny. Yeah. And and so and instead of somehow thinking mm -hmm. that what a jerk. Yeah. What is he talking about no i was being sarcastic yeah. and here's the yeah here's the crazy face to, yeah. to show what i'm thinking and since we're former english teachers this is another mm -hmm. multiple perspective thing mm -hmm. um my kids taught me that punctuation in texts can sometimes be construed it can often be construed as hostile so if you put a period at the end of a sentence, like I do at the end of every sentence that I text, because <laughs> yeah. I'm 53 and a former English teacher and yes. can't get over it, uh -huh. that is seen by a younger generation as hostile. Why are you mad at me? Uh -huh. Isn't that weird? I, that is weird. <laughs> Let's face it. But That's... it's a multiple perspective. So I gotta, So I uh -huh. think about, okay, all right, all right. This is, this is not just my platform. This is also your platform. <laughs> so I need to think about that. We all have somebody in our family who... who uh, Who's older than us? Who who somehow manages to always text in all caps? Right. Yeah. And, it's not shouting to them, and they don't realize right. that, that that's shouting text, right? <laughs> right. Right. So that was actually when I want to do a funny text to somebody. Yeah. Usually, I do the shouting text <laughs> so that they, but they would know from me that I'm right. I'm being stupid. Right. Uh, but okay, one more, another break yeah. here. We're halfway through. Mm -hmm. Freshen up the coffee. Rob and I are to keep mm -hmm. going here. Uh, just uh, glad to have you along. It's a friendly fire Saturday here. It's July. Mm -hmm. uh, let's get out there and do something, even if it is hot, right? Exactly. That's right. Uh, this is you're listening to Friendly Fire on uh, the Voice of Lincoln, fourteen hundred ninety nine three KLIN. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday. Talking with uh, Rob McIntarfer here, uh, who works in the LPS district office. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, by the way, that, uh, again, former English teacher. Yeah. How long did you teach English before you worked up the food chain here? And, and the food chain doesn't go vertically like that. It's, oh, okay. uh, it was a lateral move. Okay. Uh, in many ways, teachers are at the top of the food chain. Well, that's and should what be. We, we do yeah. believe that. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, I was at Southeast from 1992 to 2005. So oh. how much did you and I overlap? Because you were there teaching when I was also attending there. Yeah, I think that was it. So that was, I was it. actually okay. gone as a teacher by right. the time you started teaching. Okay. Yep. So. Um, yeah, I, I taught from 84 to 87. So okay. I was a short timer. Right. But I mean, that's wait. Do the math for me. How many years that was a uh, for me? Yeah, thirteen. Thirteen. Mm -hmm. That's a good stretch. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. The uh, so you're a real English teacher. I was <laughs> just kind of <laughs> the uh, when I first was hired. Yeah. Uh, did you ever teach sophomore English? No, uh, I taught composition and con- contemplate. Oh, yeah, lucky dog. I know. The uh, though when I was first, one of the things in sophomore English is uh, grammar. Yeah, and, uh, and so I had to have a moment of true confession with the English staff, and and I I thought I was probably going to get fired. Yeah, I said, you know, my grammar isn't that great, and they <laughs> certainly don't teach grammar at the University of Nebraska. No, nope. and, and I just you know uh, what what do I do? And I remember, I think it was Jan Kinney, mm. if you remember, yeah. she was a teacher when yeah. you were there. Yeah. I think she very sweetly looked at me in the in the eyes and she yeah. said, stay one lesson ahead of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I can do that. But what if they ask a question that I, then you just say, oh, no, 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 get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Now we're on this chapter. We're yeah. Gonna, that chapter's coming later. Yeah. And then you just keep going one chapter at a time. That's and smart. So I learned my basic sophomore grammar with my sophomores. That first year. Well, since we're confessing, I taught composition, and I never really knew all the comma rules. English has a <laughs> lot of comma rules. Yes, there are a lot of comma rules. Yes. I knew when there should be a comma because yes. I knew when there should be a comma. Yes. But I couldn't tell the kids the comma rule. Uh, so uh, Mary Commerce would school oh. me on comma rules. Oh. Um, and that can relate to civil discourse, right? Uh, friends... Mm-hmm. You won't have friends very long if you are correcting their grammar all the time, right? <laughs> That's a good but, point. Um, yes. But with a stranger or someone we think we disagree with because of their label, um, we will just jump down their throat if they say the smallest wrong thing. Yeah. Um, and we can, that's another aspect of civil discourse we can practice. There are little things and there are big things. Yes. Word choice and, um, mispronunciations and things like that maybe aren't the big things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But that, uh, I think we do uh, a lot of times when you're fearful that I'm going to say the wrong thing, I'm going to say it the wrong way, that then you just don't say anything. Yeah. And, uh, Pastor Jesse Miles, uh, has become a dear friend of mine and, Mm -hmm. And and uh, uh, Jesse does that for me. Mm-hmm. If I will, if I'll say something and it didn't come out the right way, yeah. you know, just gently, you know, as a friend, yeah. just say, you know, I'd probably say it this way. Yeah, it's like, oh, thank you, yeah. thank you, Jesse. That is so helpful to me. That and, whole family is great at that. Jesse Miles is uh, husband of Lily Miles, I believe, oh. uh, who I worked with. Um, oh yes, yes, yes. And oh, Lily, Lily served that role for me. She would gently call me on things. Yeah. Um, Lily, having been an African-American teacher in mostly white Lincoln public schools mm-hmm. for her entire career, had a very different perspective than I did yeah. and would remind me of my lack of perspective sometime. But she would do it in a way that helped me think about it instead of embarrassing or shaming me. Yes, yes. Speaking of which, okay, you and I, we yes. are... We are white males, mm-hmm. midlife, mm-hmm. and uh, evidently we're the source of every problem in culture. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's the. Uh, it is w- one of the things that uh, talking with Jesse about uh, uh, white privilege. Yeah. And just you know, how, how does that how, you know? Because I, I think if you're like me again, at, growing up, yeah, you didn't feel particularly privileged, right? You know, we we're kind of middle classes kind of yeah. people and yeah. didn't feel like we had a lot of legs up. Yeah. And so Jesse was very helpful to me just talking about his perspective on that. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things Jesse always says uh, is that, well, we're all privileged in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Every person has some kind of advantage or privilege that, that other people may not have. Yeah. And so the question uh, for, you know, as pastors, he said, mm-hmm. the, que- the question is not, do I have privilege? The mm-hmm. question is, what privilege I have, how mm-hmm. do I use it? Right. Do I use it selfishly? Right. Or do I use it to be a blessing to other people? Right. And, and do I admit it to myself? Am yeah. I comfortable enough to admit that um, 
I probably had a leg up because of this. Mm -hmm. And am I using it well? I think yeah. that that admitting it to yourself, uh, that sounds like a different topic, but admitting it to yourself is the first step, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, it's yeah. like some kind of a 12-step program, <laughs> right? right? right. <laughs> it is kind of a 12-step program. It is. Because you, uh, there's, a, again, neither one of us grew yeah. up in wealthy families right. or anything like that. Right. And so, you know, we're... Uh, we weren't members of the country club and, yeah. and, and, and an elite group, and yeah. so you kind of tell yourself a narrative of, well, you know, yeah, I, I didn't, I had it, you know, a right. little bit on the rougher side here in right. this town, and right. I didn't have all those advantages, and you don't, and so what, what advantages I did have and you had, yeah, that we, they were pretty invisible to us, weren't yeah, they? yeah. It's interesting you use that word. Um, uh, a couple English teacher friends of ours, Kirsten Vandervoort at Southeast High School, and then librarian Mary Ryman. Mm -hmm. uh, they started um, a program called Seed, which was uh, about reading books from other cultures. Mm. And one of the thing, first things that had us read um, was called Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. And it was an essay by a person named Peggy McIntosh. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's listening, if you want to, it's a quick Google. You can find it. It's a very short little article. And I had a negative reaction to that article first because it was really about privilege. The invisible mm -hmm. knapsack is the knapsack of privilege that we carry around with us because mm -hmm. we all have advantages, like Reverend Miles said. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but it's invisible because we don't generally think about it. So yeah. it's an article about checking out what is in your knapsack and what gives you your privilege. Oh. Um, and we all got them. Um, yeah. Some of us have, depending on what culture and society and you're born in and you grow up in, mm -hmm. we have different ones. Yeah. And sometimes the dominant system supports more of us than it does others at different points in time. Yeah, yeah. And I, and, and somehow getting past uh, feeling like any acknowledgement of an advantage I might have is like an attack on me. Exactly. That it lessens me somehow. Yeah. yeah. Or that I'm somehow, whatever, it makes me a bad person. Yeah. Because I'm, uh, that uh, it isn't really about good or bad. It's no. about just acknowledging right. our, the way we've experienced life. Right. And as Reverend Miles said, the good and bad probably comes in with how we use it. Yes. Are we trying to spread, use what power we have to spread power for others, or mm -hmm. are we just keeping it for ourselves? Yes. Which is... Uh, uh, and again, and that's a message. It applies to everyone equally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there. Uh, I mean, uh, the other thing too. I, I, I just think of again. By what accident were you and I born in Lincoln, Nebraska, right. instead of mm -hmm. in fill in the blank mm -hmm. with an impoverished third world country mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm each day wondering where my next meal is coming from and yeah. where clean water is coming from. And yet yeah, we grew up in a place where, I mean, again, we. By the world standards, we are wealthy. Yeah, right? yeah. We, we we never had to worry about the next meal. Never yeah. had to worry about clothes and yeah. and a roof on our heads. Yeah, and and, uh, and on top of that, probably had parents who loved us. Right. I mean, that's a that's yeah, a, it's a pretty good start. It is, and and a lot of it, a lot of that acknowledgement, I think, is acknowledging that the world is complicated, mm -hmm. and um, problematizing things in the sense of there are multiple truths at the same time, and we just have to work through it. So. Uh, again, this is going back to conversation with history teachers. Um, we mm -hmm. live in Lincoln, Nebraska, Abraham mm -hmm. Lincoln. Um, we can teach that Abraham Lincoln did amazing things and was an incredible leader, and we can study Lincoln's speeches and uh, and be full of admiration. And we can also mm -hmm. acknowledge the history that he was totally ambivalent at certain points of his career about slavery, um, and maybe always was, and maybe there were political motives for yeah. the Emancipation Proclamation. We can do all those things. We're smart. Yes. We're, we're big people. We can multitask. We can. Yeah. America is big enough to acknowledge um, problems yeah. and solutions and greatness and horrors. Yes. I, 
Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we take one last break and we come back. Uh, I don't know if you got anything to shamelessly plug today, but mm. if you do. I can think about that. Well, let's think about that during mm-hmm. the break. Uh, mm-hmm. Talking with Rab, Rob, Rab, <laughs> Rob McIntarfer. And I'm not going to I'm going to take offense at you mispronouncing my I, name. I I'm storming out. I don't I'm storming out. If he isn't here for the next segment, it's because <laughs> I, I'm a goofball. Uh, this is Friendly Fire on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Rolling right along on a friendly fire Saturday, uh, talking with Rob McIntarfer. He uh, works in the, the home office. It will be soon be renamed, won't it? Yes. Um, yeah. uh, our my cute name for it is LPSD Joel. I kind of <laughs> like that instead okay. of LPSDO. LPSDO. But the new name is um, uh, uh, Steve Joel Learning Center, I believe. Okay. Yeah. I I probably got that wrong. Sorry, Steve. I, he'll forgive you. Okay. He'll forgive you. Uh, it is that time in the program where we always do a shameless plug. So I say to you, Rob, if you got anything to plug, now's the time. Plug away. You bet. I do. If anybody likes to talk about teaching or uh, think about teaching, I've got a podcast called Teaching Matters. If you want to, you can find it. Uh, actually, Google. It's part of a larger podcast called Psych Sessions. But on Psych Sessions, any of the episodes that are marked with a TM for Teaching Matters, that's me. All right. All right. Very good. The, uh, I still, it's funny, my, all my teacher's college stuff is, you know, ancient history now. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that was always helpful to me was uh, the old abstract uh, uh, concrete versus... Yeah, yeah, uh, abstract sequential, concrete random, yes, that stuff. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, as, a, as an abstract sequential, yeah. uh, that was, uh, I still think about that. And, I, and yeah. sometimes when I'm evaluating people who are... When they're teaching in the life of the church or doing something else, yeah, you know that always is the rubric that comes yeah. back to my mind. It's like well, they're very smart. Why is this maybe not working? Right. Yeah. And, and usually it has something to do yeah. with that quadrant. That, that dynamic. Yeah. And let's shout her out too, Louise Alfrey. I think that was Louise's stuff. That sure um, could be. Uh, and it goes back to multiple perspectives, um, mm-hmm. acknowledging where someone else is coming from and trying to understand where they're coming from instead yeah. of. Um, I guess I'll, this isn't my thing, but. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, wrote a book called The Righteous Mind and just wrote something else about social media and the influence of social media. I I think those are both great sources, and it's about multiple Mm -hmm. perspectives. And you would be interested. uh, It's multiple moral perspectives, different Mm -hmm. moral perspectives around the world. Gotcha. Gotcha. I guess last plug, if you want to read me instead of listening to me, robmcintarfer.net. I've got a blog there, robmcintarfer.net. .net. All right. Very good. Um, so again, there are so many issues, a, a, a part of why we're in this predicament right now mm-hmm. is that, I mean, there are legitimate hot yeah. topics that are happening in the news. We've yeah. got Roe v. Wade being overturned. Yeah. We've got, uh, 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 you know, the, the political climate, yeah. uh, we've got, you know, the, is Trump going to run again? What's that yeah. going to mean? And all those kind of things. We've got now an economy that doesn't yeah. look great. And yeah. people are worried about that. And yeah. so they've got all these things that are happening around us. But there is, so so we're trying to build these bridges that kind of don't, doesn't ignore these things. Right. But yet doesn't doesn't somehow seem to push the panic button and just uh, go back to my silo. Yeah. Where I feel safe. Yeah. Uh, how... How, what are some of the things that could help us to 
what are the benefits of taking that risk of getting yeah. out of my silo yeah. and, 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 and trying? Yeah. And I, I struggle with that sometimes because there are, there are some issues that I have trouble seeing the other perspective on mm-hmm. because they're so central and personal to me yep. um, and other people that I love. So it's really, really hard. So I guess on those issues, you and I talked about in social media, sometimes you just got to scroll past somebody that you love or like saying something that's really hurtful to you. Yeah. Um, and try to scroll past that. Um, if, 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 if engaging isn't going to do any good and you know, engaging isn't going to do it, isn't going to do any good. No. Um, uh, the other thing that I find helpful sometimes is realizing that I can't talk about, I may like put a pin in it and I'm going to talk about this. You and I have to talk about this, but email isn't the right place. Um, uh, social media definitely isn't the right place. We're going to have to be face to face and we're going to have to be calm. Um, my family just got to live in an apartment for a while because uh, we had a disaster happen to our house. Um, and in the apartment building, one of the things we noticed, I'd always heard about this from friends who lived in big cities. I, we lived in this apartment building for six months, and I do not know the name of a single person who lived in the, mm. on the floor in the apartment building. Yeah. I just don't know. Back in the house, we're finally back in the house uh, a week ago now, and it's so great just talking to somebody outside my house. Um, and engaging like that. So when we get to those super important issues, the ones that are really important to us, maybe a part of civil discourse is picking the time and the place for those important conversations and not yeah. doing it until then. Yes, I like that. There is something about, uh, yeah, let's sit down and have coffee. Something. Let's, let's talk about yeah. this as opposed to, uh, again, uh, I, I, I seriously, I can't literally, I cannot think of one positive social media posting yeah. that really like move the needle. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. And people, it, it's emotionally satisfying for people. And that's sometimes what people need. Yeah. Um, but I, I also, I mean, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I have gone to political protests recently mm-hmm. um, and, and, and frequently. And some people might think that's the same thing that that's shouting for the sake of shouting. But I also think there's value in knowing that you're not alone in something that you really care about. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why your congregation shows up, right? Yeah. Um, it's not to disagree. It's to be around like-minded people. And there's value in that too. Mm-hmm. Maybe it depends on what we do with that righteous anger um, yes. and how we use that in our interactions with other people, I guess. But there's a, and there's an underlying question there. And sometimes you just have to... You have to do what you feel you, you do. You, you have yeah. to do, and it's in yeah. your conscience, and you and you you would feel like you are failing yourself if you didn't right. do what you did. Right. But the, but the other underlying question there is just uh, to say, okay, well, if I were going to be persuaded on something, yeah. how is it that I would be persuaded? Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. and then to flip that around right. and say, now, right. am I doing that <laughs> to somebody else? Right. And it's like, no, actually, yeah. when, when people get mad at me and they start, you know, lecturing me, yeah. you know, even if I'm kind and polite, yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to tune them out yep. and I'm not going to listen. Boy, before I post something, and I've been guilty of this in the past and people have called me out for it. Thankfully, they've done it kindly. Um, post something in the past, buy that t-shirt, take that poster to the protest, mm-hmm. think about um, what message I'm putting out there in the world. And am mm-hmm. I just increasing confrontation or am I honestly expressing a, a, a thought that I think needs to be expressed? Yeah, yeah. By the way, the just a couple of minutes left. Yeah. One of the scary things to me is I think I hear this from both the left and the right mm-hmm. is that, uh, well, it isn't about winning hearts and minds. It's yeah. about, it's about winning the next political. It cycle. is. Yeah. And it's about, so yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of all or nothing. Yeah. And I think once you've given up on the idea that 
maybe there's is there any common ground right that we could work on then yeah that feels kind of hopeless to me yeah and I, 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 I agreed and along with that i don't think labels necessarily help i'm even not super comfortable with the phrase left and right anymore mm-hmm. i'm not sure the phrase left and right help anybody except for pollsters yeah. um pollsters are really good at getting 5149 victories But I think one of the ways they do that is by making sure everybody knows what camp they're in and what camp you're supposed to hate. I bet most of us, if we really started talking, aren't left or right necessarily. Um, We have opinions on issues and we're diverse, complicated humans. Yes, we are. And I, uh, yeah, it's one of the reasons why about six years ago I uh, unaffiliated. Yeah. And uh, I'm a registered independent as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll vote on the person and mm-hmm. the issue and, and mm-hmm. let that be that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but for people who view everything as binary mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. they're in their winners and losers, and we have to defeat those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, I, I get it. There are certain issues that make us all feel that yes. way. Yes. I, I understand that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not naive, yeah. but, but we can't live there. We can't, but and I feel a little bit hypocritical by that too. Um, Louise Erdrich, I think, was the author of this, but somebody can correct me. The personal is political, so part of the feminist movement is acknowledging that for me, some issues may be strictly political instead of personal, but other people mm-hmm. that is deeply deep, deep part of their personal life. So um, I try to acknowledge that too, yeah. uh, and understand where people are coming from. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a part of what we're called to do. Yeah. Um, hey, it's still good that you could come in today. Yeah, sure thanks for the invitation. It. Hope yeah. this was hope this was fun for people. Uh, you know, two guys getting along, <laughs> and and again, it's it's what's really fun is uh, one part I didn't get to. It's like, no, why why do you kind of trust me, and why do I kind of right. trust you? Yeah. If I had to say it in one short sentence, it's just a little bit of history, right? And 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 just feeling of what I know of you. Yeah, uh, there's a kind uh, person in there who. Uh, who wants to have a genuine relationship right back at you. And since your sister still likes you, I have to like you too. Shout <laughs> out to Sherilyn. Kurtz. That's, uh, let's hear it for Sherilyn. Yeah. Uh, great having Rob, Rob McIntarver here or Rob McIntarver <laughs> either way uh, on a friendly fire Saturday. Uh, I leave you saying as I always do to think about it and talk about it. And see you next week.